Hey everyone, welcome back to Make It Happen Mondays, where we talk about sales, business, entrepreneurship, personal growth, mental health, and everything in between with guests who I truly respect and I think make a positive impact on the world around us. And you're about to listen to a very interesting conversation I had with Chris Mirabile. It's a little bit different than the typical one. Chris is the founder and CEO of Novos Labs. They're a consumer biotech focused on longevity and how to live a longer life. He's also a serial entrepreneur, a brain tumor survivor, and a dedicated biohacker. He's actually figured out how to reduce aging in himself by 37%, and he's shaved 13.6 years off his biological age, which we get to later in the conversation. But to start the conversation, we frame this whole thing under living well in the midst of loss, because Chris has been through a lot of loss in his life. At 16, he got diagnosed with cancer, brain tumor, um, got him into being an entrepreneur because he wanted to make a real difference in the world. When he became an entrepreneur, his first company, Hotlist, exploded and was one of the hottest ones out there right when Facebook was going out too. It's a social network as well. And he was going for the acquisition and the company that was acquiring him stole all his IP and tanked his business overnight. At the same time, uh, he got hit with Hurricane Sandy and lost his house and he lost his mom to cancer. So he's been through a lot and he walks through some positive health practices that he uses to stay positive and keep moving forward and things that we can all learn from. And then we get into his aging and how he has hacked the bio of his body to learn how to slow down the aging process. and go through 10 biological causes of aging and what we can do about them. And right at the end, he gives some super tactical tips on how we can all live a better, healthier life so we can live a lot longer than the typical person and not just age-wise, but true biologically and the internal health as well. So I hope you enjoy this conversation as much as I did. Let's make it happen. What's happening, Make It Happen family? Big shout out to our partners today, Gong, Vidyard, and Chili Piper. Gong's data is more than valuable. It's cornerstone in any organization looking to collect the data that's going to tell them where they can improve and where they need to spend their time making changes. Vidyard makes it easy for people to use videos anywhere. No matter whether you're sending videos in email or on social media, posting them somewhere, or sending them in a DM, Vidyard has got you covered. Our friends at Chili Piper are so much fun to be around. They make it easy for people to get on your calendar. And every sales rep has got to have this function locked in. It's one of the most important things we can do as a seller. How can I get you on my calendar easily? Chili Piper can make that happen for you. Be sure that you're checking out all these great tools. And now let's pass it over to John to find out who's joining him today. See you soon, everybody. Chris, welcome to the podcast, my friend. It's good to meet you. Likewise. Thank you. Yeah, yeah. You know, when your people reached out, I was really intrigued with some of the stuff that you're working on. I would love to dive into it now. But why don't we give the audience here a little background? Because this this conversation's um, going to be a lot about, you know, mental but personal health as well, but also the journey of dealing with loss in a lot of ways and, and some some tools that we can use to help better ourselves as we deal with that loss. So I'd love to hear because you've had a very, very interesting background from 16 years old, getting cancer all the way through to starting a few businesses and getting screwed a couple of times. So uh, could you give us uh, give us the background here to get us to where we are? Sure. So, uh, so I'll start when I was 12 years old, because it will be relevant later on in the conversation, I, I started to get interested in health. I saw Men's Health magazine on the newsstand. I picked it up and I was inspired by the people in the magazine. 
Uh, I wanted to be in good shape. I was a scrawny 12 year old. I wanted to build some muscle and uh, be attractive. And so my interest in health was was really superficial uh, at first, uh, mm-hmm. as, as you might imagine for a 12 year old. But I was gonna say, most um, when I was, <laughs> yeah, exactly. I wanted to you know, be attractive for, for the girls in school. Uh, but by the time I was 16 years old, um, my, my interest in health evolved and it was fueled by an event. I, I um, was in New York City. I suddenly had a seizure and it turned out that the seizure was caused by a brain tumor. I had a large mass above my left temporal lobe, uh, mm-hmm. which is above my left ear. And it uh, was uh, it required an uh, emergency surgery to remove it. So I was treated at NYU Medical Center and uh, they uh, administered uh, radiation and uh, w- were able to fortunately remove the brain tumor. Nice. But going through an ex- event like that naturally uh, had a very big impact on me. And I started asking myself existential questions that typically people aren't asking until they're in the later years of their lives. Yeah. Uh, I was asking when I was a teenager, uh, things like, what do I really want to derive from my life? Um, mm-hmm. What is the value of life in the first place? Uh, I started to reframe my thinking in many ways. For example, I, for the first time, found an appreciation in feeling pain and frustration. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, there, there was pain and frustration uh, recovering from, uh, for example, not really having a sharp memory. It was SAT year in high school and I was on anti-seizure medications and there was inflammation in my brain from the, from the surgery. And I, my memory was absolutely horrible. And the frustration that that brings while trying to do well in school is it was unlike anything I had experienced before. Uh, yet I grew to appreciate it uh, in the sense that I was here living still yeah. and I was able to feel this frustration. And uh, the alternative was I would have been gone and I wouldn't, felt, wouldn't have uh, been able to experience anything in life and uh, including the joys. So it, it really changed how I looked at life, my life, what I wanted to derive from it. It, it also largely uh, impacted my decision to become an entrepreneur because I wanted to be proactive about my life, to make an impact, to do more than just kind of being a cog in the machine, so, that, so to speak. I, I, I wanted to actually, uh, I had visions for what I wanted to, to do in, in my life. And uh, being an entrepreneur was, was the way that I identified with uh, being able to do that. One of the things that struck me when I was reading about your background was when you were in the hospital, um, getting your, you know, taken care of and everything else, it, you said it, it gave you a, a view of what kind of old age would be, right? And, and we're going to tie this to your health and, and those th- the things that you've been focusing on. But could you talk a little bit about that, about how that perspective kind of changed you as well as like think, almost thinking like you're, you're on your deathbed and this would be you at 80 years old per se, or this is what people in, in the later stages of their life go through. Could you make that connection? Because I, I, I think that's a powerful one right there. Sure. So yeah, it, the, the experience itself... Uh, it could could have meant the end of my life, right? Uh, it, we did not know if when I entered the uh, operating room, whether I would wake up again from it. And so the thought of, of the, you know, the uncertainty of that um, and, and, and the thought that maybe this was the end, 
it 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 led me to thinking about in my future uh ideally you know uh, what we're all going to have to encounter death at, at some point it's inevitable it's one of those things topics that we don't like to talk about but we know it, it is one day going to strike us just like it has to everyone before us uh but there there are different ways um to to arrive at that final destination right there there are ways in which you are sick for a long time you have a chronic illness or multiple chronic illnesses and the final decades of your life can be very painful or you can live a very healthy life until the very end and you have a very very short gap between what's known as your health span the period in which you don't have a chronic illness mm -hmm. and your lifespan, the point at which you pass away. Mm -hmm. And so the thought of having a chronic illness again was something that um, having gone through the, the, the uh, experience with the brain tumor, the realization of, you know, how powerful something like cancer or cardiovascular disease or neurodegenerative diseases like Alzheimer's or Parkinson's and so on, how impactful those could be. I just never wanted to have to go through that um, uh, again. And so that really, really put an emphasis on health. And, and as I mentioned before, that, that uh, more superficial aesthetic interest in health evolved into a biological interest in health. How do I maintain health or as it's known in science, cellular fitness. How do I keep my cells fit and prevent them, things from going awry and getting ill? Yeah, it's, it's always amazing to me when you see there's, I mean, there's plenty of memes out there of, you know, what 85 year olds look like, right? And there's one 85 year old who's super fit and they're like, you know, still running a triathlon and there's another 85 year old who's sitting in a wheelchair, you know what I mean? And barely making it through the day. And it's like, you, you know, you choose. You can actually choose which life you want towards the end. And it has a lot to do with what you do on the way there, right? And and I'd love to get into that. Um, I want to go back to that entrepreneurship piece because you got that you got that itch. You wanted to make a difference. Uh, and then you got screwed pretty hard. Uh, talk to me like you, you got the new you you got the um what it what was it, the the award that you got? Um best business Webby plan. Yeah, and my and my yeah, the business plan competition oh, with hot it, list, right? Yeah, sure. So, yeah, so I, I, I studied at NYU Stern. It's uh, the undergrad program, the, the business school. And uh, the first year out of college, I kind of fell into the trap of all of my classmates. Everyone was going into investment banking and finance and trading. And um, I went into private equity, um, a form of banking. And I was miserable there. It just wasn't, it wasn't me, you know, like I, I saw the dollar signs and it was alluring at first, but uh, after a, a, a few months, uh, you know, you, you get restless and you realize, you know, this was, I was 21 years old. I realized that there's, there's more to life than that. And, uh, so, so I, I started working on, I had already been working on a, a business concept with, um, a couple of friends of mine, but we had gotten it to a good point and we entered it into NYU's business plan competition, which we fortunately ended up winning. We were the first undergraduates to win that, that competition. And that was my calling to to leave the the lucrative uh, um, finance job and uh, to go to zero dollars in income and uh, to to try to really build a a successful startup. And it took a while. There were so many lessons learned. I mean, just imagine at twenty one years old, you know, you 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 haven't really been knocked 
like punched in the face and knocked to the ground yet. So you think everything is like is doable and easy. And, and so I got punched many times uh, in the process and knocked to the ground a bunch of times. But with that said, there were also a lot of, a lot of uh, successes and triumphs in the experience. Uh, we we uh, eventually figured out what we were doing with that company. It was a social network. Uh, and this was right when Facebook opened up beyond colleges into the general uh, audience. And so what we had created was a network focused on what's happening in the real world in the future. Where are your friends going? Where are people with similar interests uh, to you going? And as well as looking at different venues that you you uh, enjoy visiting to be able to see any events that were taking place or people expected to go to them based on RSVPs to these different events. We partnered with Facebook and Meetup and Eventbrite and so on to be able to aggregate all of this information. Mm-hmm. Uh, long story short, we were able to get to the point where we had hundreds of millions of people's social plans on our platform, more than uh, almost a quarter billion people. Wow. And uh, I was up for Entrepreneur of the Year at the Consumer Electronics Show, the, the world's largest electronics show. Yeah. Uh, I was a top five finalist for that, a whole bunch of different accolades. And um, long story short, we we were uh, focused on building our user base, not on revenue, which was the playbook for all startups, uh, social networks, and so on, even, even some uh, established companies publicly listed are still not even profitable. They're, they're still burning, burning Drives money. Crazy, right. Yeah. So it was commonly known strategy. And, uh, the issue was that we were running low on capital and we uh, had to either do a fundraise or be acquired one or the other. At the time we were already many years into the project. I, I don't recall off the top of my head, but maybe seven years, eight years in. And, uh, the question was, do we go for acquisition or fundraise? And we, along with our board, decided to go for acquisition because there was interest from big players like Facebook and Google and others that I had calls with and they were they were you know shopping around. Now, ultimately, there was another company based in Asia that was the most aggressive pursuing us and um, Facebook and Google ended up stepping uh, away from the from the uh, conversations. This company in Asia, very large company, uh, said they wanted to acquire us. We um, did the due diligence phase where we shared, we opened up our books, we showed them everything. And, um, and about four months into the process, it was taking longer than expected. Uh, I remember pointedly it was right after hurricane sandy i was living in new york city my apartment building got flooded the basement did so uh the city ordered us out so i lost my apartment Uh, i was in florida staying at a family member's home and i had a phone call with this company where they said thank you for sharing everything that you have we have decided that we're going to try to build our own version of hotlist we will check back in with you in a year to see how things are going. And it hit me. I mean, talk about being knocked to the ground. This, this was like hitting me like a 10 ton brick. It, it was literally them just mining us for information, uh, only for them to then copy us and to leave us out to dry. And we had no capital left to be able to pay our employees. Uh, we had to shut down the business and immediately imploded. Uh, we tried to raise money from our, our current investors at that point, but it was too difficult to do. Um, everything fell apart very quickly. Um, and then to the point of losing my apartment, when I eventually made it back, I found that my apartment was looted. 
Um, I, all of my, my valuables were, were stolen from the apartment. And I went from being in, in the press and newspaper for my startup to being in it because I was robbed and, and you know, down to basically no, no savings, no assets, nothing. Um, so it was a real, real test of my self-identity and, and my, my endurance and, and perseverance and so on, um, to say the least. I was going to say, I mean, and, and I read a part, I mean, you, you kind of, I mean, and who wouldn't go into about it a, a bit of depression after that, right? How hard did it hit you from a just life standpoint? Did it stop you in your tracks? And walk me through kind of once that final, I mean, you got hit a couple of times there and now you're, you're like, shit. I know for me, a couple of times in my life when I've been punched right in the mouth, it's, it takes a while. Sometimes it takes a little bit longer than others, but there's always that point of, oh my God, what do I do? And then you make a decision to keep moving forward. Could you talk us through that? Because I think that's where a lot of people get stuck. I go back to what I learned a while back where people, there's two types of people. One is life happens to them. And then the other is life, life happens for them. Right. And the two of them, it's like, oh, all this, why did all this happen to me? Woe is me, like the Nancy Kerrigan, like, why me? Right. I mean, the, the reason when she got hit by her, you know, by Tanya Harding, I don't think that ruined her career. I think what ruined her career was literally when the words came out of her mouth, why me? Because then it was like, like everybody had sympathy for you, but now you made it like, oh, poor you, as opposed to, I'm going to go get this. So where was, where was your head at when all this stuff came crashing down on you? I mean, you'd already been through adversity before, so you, it's not like this was brand new to you. But was there a moment where you questioned a lot of what you were doing and, and whether you were going to be able to move forward? Yeah, great, great question. So, you know, the, the very first thing, the first thing to note is that a lot of my self-identity was tied up in the company. Uh, it was so many years of work. It was, it was every waking and most of my sleeping hours thinking about the company. I would wake up with dreams about the company, right? So, uh, and, and whenever I would visit family or I would bump into like a high school friend while back in my hometown, everyone would say like, how's house hot list, or, uh, I saw you on the news or I saw you opening NASDAQ, like, wow. And then all of a sudden they would, some of them would still ask the question, not knowing what had happened. And I would have to then say, actually the company has shut down, uh, which was painful enough on its own. Um, I've, I've since learned that it's really just ego and, you know, I should get over that. But, um, but yeah, my ego was, was, uh, was, was drowned. It wasn't simply bruised. It was drowned. And so, um, I hit the ground running, which in retrospect probably wasn't the best thing to do. I, I hit the ground running in the sense that I started another company immediately. Oh, wow. okay. And I, I probably should have taken some time to you know, mourn the loss, so to speak, and to self-reflect. Because um, I, I went into this other company just too, too aggressively, too quickly. And, um, and then all of a sudden, the depression did hit. And that that depression um, wasn't it, it's it's an atypical form of depression. It's not the depression that mo most people think of things like suicidal ideation and so on. This was more of what's known as anhedonia. So when you're anhedonic, uh, you you lack motivation. You you don't care to do things, and that extended beyond business. This included spending time with friends or going out or going on a date or something. Right? Like I just felt like blah. Like, why not just sit at home by myself and do nothing? I, I had no desire to go out and do anything to start a business, nothing. And so I actually started 
uh, there was there was this series of uh, serendipitous things that led me to. Uh, we don't have the time to go over them, but it, it led me to uh, reading the work of this spiritualist who was uh, from India named Jiddu Krishnamurti, and uh, he he you know it's not a religion or anything. It's just like perspective on life, and. When reading, he didn't write a book, but there were books published uh, of his speeches. And he, he, one, of, one of the biggest things that I took from it was questioning everything, questioning all of your preconceived perspectives and notions and beliefs uh, in life. And, and, um, and I, I started questioning, like, why was I an entrepreneur in the first place? Or why was my identity so wrapped up in the business? Or... Uh, what does success mean to me? What is success? Is it financial success or are there other forms of success? Um, even other questions like what is love? What is true, actual, enduring love? Is, is love selfishness, which oftentimes in today's relationships, or I shouldn't even say today, throughout history, relationships are selfishness, right? It's about like, what can you bring to me versus the idea of selfless love, which was embodied in, in my mother, her, her selfless love that she had uh, for me and my brother was unlike any love I'd ever seen or witnessed in my life where she would do anything, absolutely anything for us, no matter what happened, no matter how we treated her. Uh, that was real true love. And so reading this work and reflecting, it really became transformative. I started to peel back the layers of the onion, if you will, of, my, of who I am and, and the way I view the world and view myself and view others and really got down to the more sim simple like first principles or, or, or at least as close mm -hmm. to first principles as possible related to life and my life and what I wanted from it. Uh, I, I would constantly ask myself the question, why? Much like a child does, right? You know, yeah. the annoying kid who's like, why? And then you answer and then they're like, but why? I was actually doing that to myself about like, well, why do I care what this person thinks of me? Okay, but why do I actually, you know, and I would keep going down until I eventually got to the answer, which was that like, you know, something, something maybe, maybe it's related to uh, the desire to be loved or for self-preservation or for one thing or another. But once I got to that like foundational element, it, it disintegrated the feeling in the first place. Like I was freed from it, almost like meditation can do when you, when you meditate on something, it, it can oftentimes just dissipate. It disappears. So uh, that's a, yeah. a long way of, of, uh, of, of addressing your question. Was but. there a moment you said you, you, you had devastated, but then immediately jumped into starting a new startup. Did you hit a wall that, that made you basically realize that not, you know, you said then you were just didn't want to do anything, right. Uh, go out to dates or anything like that. Was that a, was that a gradual thing with this new business that you had started and were you just basically trying to hide? Look, and the reason I'm asking is because I think a lot of people don't deal with grief. Um, they keep themselves busy to deal with grief and then it manifests itself later on and they might not even know. And I, I'll give you, you know, my, my mom, for instance, my dad passed away about a year and a half ago and she been married to him for 55 years. She knew nothing other than being with him. And she, I could tell she immediately flipped into, 
I need to sell this house. I need to get out of here and I need to start another stage in my life. Right. So she, I mean, um, I mean, without grieving a ton, we grieved, but without grieving a ton, she cleaned up the house. She packed everything up. She did the estate sales. She sold the house. She moved to California. She got set up there and boom, 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 boom. And it was like, and it was go, 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 go. And I think everybody was like, whoa, what are you doing? And she's like, nope, I'm just, and I think she was really trying to keep herself busy, not to deal with the dealing with the actual grief. And now it's starting to manifest itself in some other ways. And so I'm wondering for you, was it a, holy shit, I, I need to do something about this? Or was it just kind of a gradual, like something's not right here and I need to, I need to, I need to refocus or stop keeping myself busy and start looking internally here? Yeah. I, so I, I think I, I jumped straight into starting the new business because I, I still had this, this, you know, I don't know, this desire for the, the quote unquote success and feeling like there's a failure. Well, let me immediately get back on my feet to prove to myself and others that I can, I can make it work. I can build a successful venture. And, uh, um, it's almost like, you know, the, the analogy would be, you, you break up with your girlfriend and instead of like taking some time for yourself, you immediately like date yeah. someone else, right? Which oftentimes people yeah. do it is very similar. And so uh, I, I think, yes, you're, you're right in the, in the sense that I should have spent more time actually in, you know, uh, experiencing internalizing grieving for, for uh, what had happened. Uh, and how did it hit me? Yeah, it, 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 it kind of, it, it did kind of hit me suddenly because um, the new business I was working on, uh, it, it was doing well, but it wasn't, it wasn't scaling the way that I, I was hoping that it would. And, and as I was starting to think about it, um, I, I was, I was allergic to raising third party money, like, like venture capital or anything. I, I, because I had felt like I had failed these people with my last venture. So I avoided it. And so this was more of like, just like, uh, an in-house friends and family kind of bootstraps venture. And I was able, I was making money from it. But, um, you know, deep down, I ultimately wanted to make this into a very big business. And uh, when I was realizing that it wouldn't scale in the way that that I was hoping that it would, then I started to uh, think, like, what am I doing? Uh, and, you know, it kind of stopped me in my tracks. And, that, and that's when I became aware of, that's when I became depressed and, and aware of the need to start, like, looking internally did you reach out for help um because the the stigma is still out there of mental health and therapy and depression and so many people still try to deal with it themselves and they don't reach out to people around them for you was it um when you realized that depression was the issue in a lot of ways did you try to handle that yourself? Did you reach out to people? What was the process there for you to, to start the journey of realizing that this, this, you needed help? Uh, no, I, I didn't reach out to yep. people. Um, I, I think, you know, the, I think this is a common issue for men is just the, the, uh, expectation that you, you, you rough it out, you do it yourself, you know? And, uh, and I think it's it's also probably beyond just like societal expectations. It's probably also partly a male thinking pattern of of like the way we are is like like do it yourself, right? Like look at look at us with a hammer and nails, right? Like we like to do things ourselves, right? And so uh, we don't like asking for help. And so no, I didn't ask for help, at least from friends and family. There did come a point where 
um, I did book um, an appointment with a psychologist and I, I had uh, two sessions with the person and I found myself enjoying talking to the person um, and sharing what, what I was feeling and my thoughts and so on. But I also, I, it, the, the relationship lacked any feedback. I was hoping I would get advice and, and feedback and tips and so on. But it was really more like just asking a couple of probing questions and they answer it. But I wasn't really progressing from it. The real thing that made me progress was was literally like the internal uh, like questioning, like reading what I was, uh, which gave me just the insights or tools for me to then try to address it myself back to the point of, you know, doing everything yeah. ourselves. But ironically, it did eventually work. Um, yeah. yeah. So, and so with that, and let's kind of transition to the health, um, you know, we'll talk about body health and, and a lot of the stuff that you're working on now, as far as biological causes, causes of aging, but there's, there's some positive mental health practices that you've developed, uh, as part of this. What, what are some of the, outside of asking why quite a bit of why these things are important to you and what are some of the other positive, um, health practices that you've realize can make a difference for not just you, but for other people. So one thing I really got into at the time and, and still am to a lesser degree, but uh, still am into is meditation. So, um, you know, it's, it's, it's like, you know, the, the, the cool new age thing to do. Everyone's talking about it, but it, it, there really is something to it, right? It's been around for thousands of years for good reason. Uh, when, when you quiet your mind and you just observe uh, your, your, yourself uh, or you simply you, you can you can observe one single thing you can observe how your your body feels like going from your head down to your toes you can observe your thoughts so you don't push your thoughts away but as they come in you notice that it's there and then you try to like a cloud let it pass uh, there are many different ways to, to meditate but what i found is by doing it i'm far more aware of like self-aware and aware of how i'm feeling and um, whether that be physically or mentally or emotionally, uh, I'm, I'm far more in control of my emotions. And I don't mean that in the sense of control, like, you know, uh, the typical sense of like grabbing the emotion or something, right? Like the aggressive idea of control. I mean it in a more passive way. Like it just naturally leads you to being more in control because your, your presence, you're self-aware, you're present when things happen, you can almost step away from the situation and observe it happening from a third party perspective, uh, which then gives you the ability to really behave the way uh, or closer to the way that, that you, sh you think you should in that situation. It's, it's an amazing set of uh, skills or capabilities that, that if you meditate for a while, you, you can, you can eventually attain. Uh, another thing is, you know, on the theme of health, I would say, just the importance of how how holistic health is. So psychological health and uh, feeling good and avoiding depression, um, as just one example, is also impacted by the foods that you eat, the supplements that you take, the activity that you engage in, uh, whether that be physical activity or lack thereof, um, whether you're drinking or not drinking, you know, all of these different things, they all interact with each other and they impact your physical health, your biological health, your emotional well-being and so on. So it's it, what I found is that if I can be 
uh, disciplines with the foods I eat and my exercise routine and making sure I get to bed at a certain time, even if I'm tempted to stay up uh, and so on, uh, that it just puts me in so much better of a psychological place. It makes me more effective at my job. I, my, I'm, I'm sharper. Uh, I have more endurance to work longer. I uh, am, uh, my memory and recall is better. My mood is better. I treat everyone better, right? Like, so there, there are all of these cascading beneficial effects uh, if, you, if you focus on your health in a holistic way. What's up, everybody? I know you're enjoying this conversation. John does a great job with genuine curiosity on these episodes, and our guests consistently bring the heat. We want to take a moment here and let you know that you've got an opportunity, an opportunity to become better than you were yesterday. And you can do so by gaining access to all of JB Sales content. All of their training tips, techniques, tactics, and takeaways can be yours for $1 a day. $365 for the year gets you annual access to everything, including our private Slack channel for members only, which you get access to all of us directly 100% of the time, 24 hours a day. And then at the same time, you're going to get access to our bi-weekly Ask Me Anything sessions where you can bring real deals to the table and get the help that you need where you need it. This is very, very important. Sales reps that invest in themselves are often found at the tops of their leaderboards. Join us today and get the help you need to become the seller that you deserve to be. That URL, one more time, is joinjbsales.com. Let's get back to the show with JB and our guest for this week. You've done a lot of experimenting uh, with your health as far as different routines, different things to do. And, uh, <laughs> you know, so, and, and this is documented, you've been able to slow the pace of your aging by 37% and shaving 13.6 years off your biological age. So talk to me about, first of all, <laughs> where how do, how does that get identified i'm i'm curious on that one but but then yeah. of the and i know you got 10 biological causes of aging that you, that you really focus on with with what you're working on now but talk to me about some of that like how first of all how is that measured uh and then let's back into what you do sure. to get to that point and 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 let me ask real quick how old are you right now chris i'm 38 so I'm 46. Uh, so I think so. You've shaved when it says you've shaved 13. So your body is basically 20 years old, according like with that day, or 23 years old, give or take. Yeah, about uh, biologically speaking. Well, let exactly. me let me explain it uh, for for the audience to, to fully understand what we're talking about here. So uh, there there's a distinction between biological age and chronological age. Chronological age is how many times the Earth has revolved around the sun. It's based on your birthday, right? Uh, then your biological age is how old effectively your body's biology is. So uh, this correlates to, for example, mortality risk or risk of a chronic illness, right? It goes up exponentially as you're older. The chances that you die from a disease when you're 80 is exponentially higher than when you're 15, right? It makes sense. So if you are, let's just make it simple, 40 years old chronologically, and you smoke a pack of cigarettes a day, you might be biologically 45 years old. And by being 45 years old, it means your chances of sudden death or chronic illness is significantly higher than that of a 40-year-old. Now, on the other hand, if you follow the very healthy diet and healthy lifestyle, so on and so forth, at 40, you might be biologically 38 or 37. And again, now that actually implies that you have a lower chance of anything going wrong compared to your peers who are 40 years old. So how do we actually measure this? Well, for a long time, scientists have been trying to figure this out. 
There have been different ways that we've attempted with, for example, blood tests and biomarkers and then using some formulas to try to approximate it. They haven't gone that far. Uh, then next was telomere length. So your telomeres are the end caps of your chromosomes. They're what keep your DNA intact, kind of like the ends of shoelaces. Okay. And at every time your cells divide, they get a little bit shorter. And so they are correlated with age. The older you are, the shorter they tend to be. Now, there is correlation to uh, with of your telomeres to your age, but it's not a strong definitive link. I'll give you an example. For me, my telomere age, I was shocked by this, and so was the lab. An executive from the lab told me this seemed like it was incorrect, so we reran your test three times and confirmed. My telomeres are that of a 7.8-year-old. <laughs> Uh, now, I, obviously, I don't look like a I don't look like Benjamin Button. I'm not a, right. an eight year old, right? <laughs> so, so yeah. So, what does this actually mean? So, now getting back to we'll, we'll come back to that. Getting back to biological age, the best way that we have to measure it is what's known as an epigenetic test. So, what is an epigenetic test? An epigenetic test looks at your epigenome. Your epigenome. Everyone knows what your genetics are. Your genes, right? Epi in Latin is like a layer. It's, it's, it's a layer on top of your, your genetics. It's essentially which genes are turned on and off. Genes are like light switches, uh, more like dimmer switches. And so if you imagine your genes being like a piano, the epigenome is like the player of that piano, deciding what music to play, which keys to, to strike. And as you age, certain genes turn on that ideally aren't on, like pro-inflammatory genes, and certain genes turn off that ideally wouldn't be turned off, like repair genes. And so there are these patterns that scientists have identified, and then using all different types of mathematical uh, um, calculations, they're able to put together algorithms that essentially can tell you how old, biologically speaking, you are. Now, Early generation clocks were tuned based on your chronological age. So they based these formulas based on like, well, let's look at a whole bunch of people who are 40 years old and see what their genes look like. Now what they're based on, which is much more powerful, is mortality risk. So essentially these, these tests are telling you how likely are you to die, um, as, as, as grim as that sounds. In fact, one of the clocks is called grim age. Um, specifically looking into mortality risk. So getting back to my results in your question, uh, at, at, when I took the test, I was um, in my mid thirties. So, uh, sorry, uh, third, not mid thirties, middle of 37, right? So I was 37 um, uh, and a half or a little bit uh, under that. So there are multiple different clocks that you can run. Um, the one that I, I focus on is called the true age clock. That one put me in at minus 13.6 years. That implies 37% slower aging in that I'm biologically that of a 23.6 year old. Um, there are other tests that I've also run, um, all of them averaging out to about 25 years old or so. There is another test, which is probably the most accurate of them all. It's called the Dunedin Pace Clock. Now, this is a, a, a clock that was created as a collaboration between Columbia University and Duke University researchers. They looked at this cohort of people 
for 45 years based out of New Zealand, got all of their biomarkers, epigenetics, and so on. Um, and then any health issues, chronic diseases, deaths, and so on. And they have created what's known as a pace or rate of aging clock. So rather than tell you what your biological age is, they tell you at this moment in time, how fast mm -hmm. are you aging? Are you aging one year per chronological year? Or are you aging slower or faster than that? For that, the result, and again, this is perhaps the most accurate test currently out there in all of the scientific uh, space. Um, it came back as minus 31%. So for every one chronological year, I'm aging 0.69. And that's right in line approximately with the 37% slower aging according to the other clock. Um, it's like approximately, let's just say around one third slower is what these are implying. Now I'll mention one other set of data. So, and by the way, all of this, I, I have a personal blog I launched three weeks ago. Uh, it's brand new, it's called slowmyage.com. And there you can see my results. You can learn more about these clocks and the science behind them. Um, one of the blog posts I write goes beyond just these clocks and then looks at real world measures of, of health and how those correlate with age. For example, uh, my VO2 max, which athletes will know about the volume of oxygen that, that your, your body can uh, take in and utilize at any given point in time. Um, pulse wave velocity. This is a... Um, an indicator of arterial stiffness. The stiffer, the worse it is for your cardiovascular health. You want veins to be very uh, pliable, right? So these come back, for example, my pulse wave velocity comes back as that of a 24 and a half year old. My VO2 max of a above average uh, 25 year old. Um, my max heart rate is that of a 28 year old. So triangulating with all of these different data points is pointing to um, the, the high likelihood that at least in terms of health and biological age, I'm somewhere in, in my mid-20s. Who wouldn't want to slow down aging? Um, do you think we're going <laughs> to okay. ever get to a point? Um, I mean, look, we get older and older. Technology and medicine get better and better. Um, but the quality of life is always the question, right? So where are we? What's the average life expectancy now? Do you know uh, for for like a male like you and I, like what would the average life expectancy be? Is it in the 80s at this point? No, it's it's shorter than females. Um, I don't have the exact number off the top of my head. For the United States, uh, I think it's somewhere in the neighborhood of around 74 years old. Okay. It's in the mid 70s. In my 74 to 77 males shorter than females. Do you know the like the society that has the longest uh, um, age range, if you will, as far as average death rate? Uh, I, I don't know specifically by country. I, I know Japan is, is quite high, uh, but I don't know if there's another country that outdoes Japan. What I will say is that there's uh, this concept known as blue zones or areas that have the highest levels of centenarians, people living beyond 100. Mm -hmm. And um, there are five of them. One is in Okinawa, Japan. Another is Sardinia, Italy. Um, there's one in Greece, there's one in California, there's one in Costa Rica. And so there are people, scientists, uh, who have analyzed their diets, their lifestyles, their genetics, their epigenetics, so on and so forth. And there's a lot of insights that come from it. Uh, what I can tell you is that to live exceedingly long, uh, like beyond 100 to 110, the longest lived uh, person was a French lady, uh, Jean Clement, I believe she lived to 123. Um, 
that is increasingly genetically influenced once you get to that extreme level. Okay. But for the rest of us, uh, in terms of being able to live 80, 90, 100 without having any yeah. severe diseases and, and passing away peacefully in your sleep, uh, that is predominantly lifestyle, about 75% lifestyle influenced and only about 20 to 25% uh, genetically influenced. Is there like a specific breakdown that you look at as far as diet versus mental health versus, or is it like you said earlier, kind of that total holistic, there's so many different components to it. Cause I could see, for instance, Japan, right? That makes sense to me because they are very, whether they meditate or whatever, but they seem very introspective as a culture, right? About and purposeful about what they do and what they eat and all those other things. Whereas here, I'm, I'm actually surprised there's a place in California that has that, that blue zone right there. I'm surprised anywhere in the United States actually has a blue zone. So is, it, is there, is from those 10 biological causes, cause of, causes of aging that you focus on with Novos, um, how much of it is, is mental versus physical slash diet and exercise, if you will? A uh, great question. Um, so first of all, the, uh, the, Californian centenarians are in this health-centric community. Uh, it's the only one where all of the other ones, there's like genetic similarities, right? Like if you live in Sardinia, there's like a lot of uh, similar genes. Um, in this case, it's actually not that way. Um, and it's the only uh, vegetarian, I believe it's actually even vegan okay. community of them all. Everyone else eats fish and meats and animal products, but this one doesn't. Um, but they're very focused on health. Um, and, and I believe they're hypocaloric as well. So they're, they're, they're not eating as many calories as their body would otherwise um, um, like to be at like the homeostasis level. To your question about to what degree do each of these have an impact? There, there are, uh, it, it's, it's hard to say, right? Because everyone is so unique and individual and like for one person being very stressed might have a greater impact on them than someone else based on different variables. Um, eating very healthy might, you know, offset some of those negatives. It is almost infinitely complex and we can only come up with like, you know, uh, population-based conclusions, which is quite different than an individual-based conclusion, right? Uh, what I would say is that I'm actually doing a, uh, a webinar presentation, um, a live webinar in a couple of weeks on behalf of my company, Novos Labs. Uh, if you follow us on, on social, Novos Labs on Instagram and Twitter, you'll, you'll find out about them. Uh, and the date and so on. It's free to attend. But the topic of that is longevity lifestyle. And I, I'm looking at the, the deck right now in front of me. And the, the things that we'll talk about are diet and supplements and how that can impact your, your health span and lifespan, activity and exercise, sleep and recovery, uh -huh. which a lot of people neglect in, in modern society, psychology and relationships, physical environment, social habits, so all of these different things, uh, social habits includes things like drinking alcohol and so on. Um, uh, physical environment is like if you live in a polluted area or what your, your physical space is like and so on. All of these things have been found in studies to have an impact on your, uh, your overall health and uh, your, your, your rate of aging and, and uh, your potential lifespan. If there was one thing that you would suggest the audience, and, and, and I, I look at myself, for instance, you know, I'm in okay shape. Uh, I should go to the gym more often. I, I don't eat a lot. I pay attention. I get a little bit of high blood pressure. It's not crazy. But 
if there's one thing that people were like, you know what, health, mental, physical, all this health matters. And, I, and I'm starting to be more conscious of it because I realized, I don't know what it was for me when I was like, probably was in, in my, when I was 40, if you will, I started oddly thinking about death a lot more than I ever had. And because I think I my daughter and, and a few other things. And I think it is a healthy thing to think about it, not to be afraid of it, but it, you're more conscious of it. So for people who are kind of thinking about that, what are the steps that you would recommend short-term easy things that people can do to, in the short term to, to, to move in the direction of that health that will elongate their lives? Is there a couple of tips that you would give people to say, like, as of today, you know, start thinking or doing these type of things instead? Sure. So on the webinar, I'm going to give a whole bunch of tips, but I'll give you a, a few of the you know yeah. uh, more powerful ones uh, right now. So from physical activity, 150 minutes per week of moderate physical activity is enough to extend your health span and lifespan by a significant margin. Not as much as if you were doing like high intensity training and um, and and really consistent with it but 150 minutes a week. So what does that mean? Mm -hmm. Brisk walking, 20 minutes a day, seven days a week, you're almost at that 150 minute mark, right? Um, so that, that's one thing to, to make sure that you're doing at the minimum. Um, second thing for physical activity, uh, ideally you, you do some weightlifting or even body weight um, exercises um, at, twice a week. So especially for your legs, one of the more common causes of death in, in later decades is, is as simple as falling, falling down the steps or you know falling while you're walking and no one's there to help you and you have a concussion and so on. So you really wanna build up a strong foundation um, in your legs uh, so that when you get older and sarcopenia sets in, that's sarcopenia is when your body starts losing muscle mass. For women, it tends to happen at, at menopause or after menopause. Um, and for men, you know, similar ages, maybe a little bit later. Uh, you want to make sure you have like, you know, a tree trunk yeah. that is then getting smaller and smaller rather than a twig that's getting smaller and smaller, right? Because you eventually you get like this breaking point. Skipped leg day at the gym because some guy's yeah. huge up top, but he's got twigs as legs. It's like, dude, you know, do, <laughs> <Up> a, top, <laughs> yeah. do some thigh work every once in a while. <laughs> right, right, right. So, so you could do like body weight squats, for example. You could just, you know, stand up and then get as close to the ground as you're comfortable and then uh, stand back up again you know, 20 reps start with, then 30, then 40, then 50. Eventually, you're going to really start seeing the muscle. You're going to build it up. You could do it while watching TV. You could do it while on a Zoom call. You put, you just hide the video, right? There's so many different ways or times that you can find yourself doing these things. So, so that's physical. Uh, in terms of diet, I would say uh, one of the most important things to consider is your eating window, the time in which you're eating. And there's a, a researcher at uh, the Salk Institute in California named Dr. Sachin Panda, who's done a lot of research on, on uh, your uh, chronotypes and, uh, and diet and the impact of eating at different hours of the day and so on. And what's essentially found is that the shorter, the, the smaller the eating window that you can make, the better it is for your overall health. Studies have found that, for example, two people can eat the same exact foods, but if you eat in a smaller period of time, it can have a significantly better health, health outcome. Um, in terms of cardiovascular risk, so on and so forth. You mean eating faster or just... No, sorry. Yes. Good, good yeah. question. Uh, I should be more clear about this. In terms of the hours of the day in which you're eating. So for example, um, 
I, I do, uh, this is called time restricted eating. So I only eat between the hours of either 12 to 8 PM or sometimes 2 PM to 8 PM. So I don't have breakfast, uh, despite what people say, no, it's, you don't have to have breakfast, right? Um, you know, when you break your fast, that's breakfast. So my lunch is my breakfast. Uh, so, so yeah, if you eat between 12 and 8 PM, for example, that would be known as a 16, eight time restricted, uh, eating window. So 16 hours of fasting, not eating, and then eight hour window in which you do eat that will go a very long way at the least, make sure it's 12 hours at the least. Right? So if you wake up at 9 AM finish by 9 PM, that is absolutely essential. Now, uh, ideally you actually shorten it more like eight hours or six hours. Like I said, to that point, stop eating three hours before bed. You don't want to go to sleep with a, with a full stomach. It's going to, uh, impact your ability to sleep. You might not notice it. You might think you're sleeping well, but you're not going to sleep nearly as well as if you have a three hour, um, period before bed at the least make it two hours. If you can't go three hours in terms of, um, calories, Try more days than not to be a little bit hypocaloric. So in other words, fewer calories than your body needs, right? So if your body, based on your activity and your basal metabolic rate, you can find calculators online based on your age and body weight, what your basal metabolic rate is. That's how many calories you burn without activity. So if you add activity to that, uh, which you can track your calories burned with things like the Apple Watch or the Aura Ring or so many other devices nowadays, even your iPhone can if you're keep it in your pocket. Let's just say that adds up to 3000 calories for the day. Try to get by with 2,900 or 2,800. And then maybe once or twice a week on the weekends, you're going out and you're going above that. Okay. That's fine. Once in a while to be what's called hypercaloric, but for the most part, try to be either equal to or slightly below the calories that your body needs. Um, and then of course, in terms of the foods, avoid sugar, avoid processed foods, avoid, um, the starchy carbs that turn into sugar very easily. Um, try to have as many vegetables as possible, uh, mushrooms, beans, um, fatty fish like salmon, uh, minimize the red meat. It's okay to occasionally indulge, but don't make it a regular staple of your diet. Yeah. Those are, those are the main things for, for a diet. Happy to go into other things like psychology yeah, and so on, if you care, but those for activity and diet, which are like the staples for most people. Um, that they need the most help with, I would say those are. And I think the, those are the realistic ones too, right? Because there's one thing about, you know, being woken up. That's what I'm always trying to prevent is is being forced to all of a sudden get healthy, right? I've seen a lot of my friends who have just ignored their health for years and they've had some major issue pop up and it's like, okay, now I have to basically change my entire lifestyle because now, you know, I have type two diabetes. I have, you know, I had a heart attack. I had whatever that is. And that is, is not a fun transition to make. I mean, it's a, it's an absolute transition you have to make, but it's better to make kind of these micro transitions as you go so that you're, you're not completely changing your lifestyle. You're, you're adjusting your lifestyle in a lot of ways. Exactly. Yeah. You, probably have heard about this, but I think it's very powerful. Like the idea of if, if you can't bring yourself to like do a workout, at least promise to yourself, commit yourself to walking to the gym, for example, mm -hmm. right. Or driving to the gym, whatever it is. Um, and commit to doing one single set in the gym, yep. just one set, right. Instead of bench press, whatever it is, what you'll find is you do that one single set and you're like, Hey, yeah. you know what? It's not that bad to do two sets. Right. But as long as you like, for, for you to set the goal of going to the gym and working out for an hour each day 
that's intimidating. It, it, you, it's also more likely that you're going to say, compared to sitting on the couch, I'd rather sit on the couch rather than spending an hour at the gym. Right. But if it's like, oh, okay, all I'm committing to is driving to the gym and doing one set and then leaving, that's a 20 minute activity. That's actually more doable compared to sitting on the couch. Okay, I'll do it. But then once you're there, you find yourself doing more. And so you just have to get yourself psychologically to the point of initiating, starting the 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 difficult task, and then you're far more likely to complete. Have you read the book Atomic Habits? There's so there's a book about atomic habits, no, I and it's about like don't try to change everything about what you're doing. Just do something small every day, but do it every day. To your point, get up and do you know a couple bench presses, whatever it is, a couple of sit ups. It doesn't matter, but do it every day because then it turns into a habit. And once it turns into a habit, then all of a sudden you don't even have to think about it, right? And so a lot of it is like these little micro uh, they call them atomic habits, these little mini things that can get you moving in the right direction, which is exactly what that is. So. Right. And, and something I'd also say that I found to be valuable is it's kind of in the same realm as meditation, but it's the idea of, of like integrating um, your observations into your consciousness. I, I don't know if there's a term for an official term for this, but the, the idea is that if you observe yourself and how you feel or, um, you know, how you react to situations and so on. Like if you observe yourself and then make a conscious point to like save it in your memory, so to speak, um, then you're far more likely to maintain it. What, I'll give you a specific example. If you find that eating healthy and going to the gym three days a week, that your mood is better, that you have more energy, that you're more productive at work, uh, that you're more optimistic instead of pessimistic, so on and so forth. If you take the time to sit down and just observe these changes, the the benefits that these are these things are bringing to you, um, and you make a point to remember it, you're more likely to continue with with that lifestyle and to not let it slip. Because I, at least for me, I start to think, well, it would be tempting to go out and you know have a bottle of wine with my friends tonight, or to have that you know. A, dessert or to stay up really late, whatever it is, right? Mm -hmm. Not to say I don't ever indulge, sometimes I do, but like um, I, I always weigh it in my head, like, well, but do I want to feel groggy in the morning? Do I want to not be able to go for a nice run on the beach? Do I want to feel tired at 7 p.m. tomorrow instead of being energized throughout the day? Well, that wine is not nearly as appealing to me now as it was before. I just took five seconds to contemplate that and then that completely changed my course of action and and my success for the next day. I, mean, I think uh, to your point, there's a lot of mental and physical aspects of uh, of aging and aging in a way that uh, it's the way you want to versus the way you're forced to. I, I think a lot of us get scared about what that end of life is. I used to make the joke of when I was ever any, doing anything unhealthy. Um, people say, oh, that takes five years off your life. And it's like, yeah, those five years are going to suck anyways. But now I'm like, nah, I think I want those five years, but I want those five years to be healthy years. Right. And, and I think, like I said, there's a point in your life, everybody's life, you wake up and you're, you start paying attention a little bit more. And, uh, hopefully this conversation got people to pay attention a little bit more. So Chris, where, uh, where can we send people? Where, where do you want people to find out more about you? I know we talked about your blog and your website and you got, uh, Novos and you got the webinar coming up here. So what's the best way for people to learn more about you? Sure. So, uh, we didn't really talk much about Novos, but very quickly, I'll just mention that Novos 
We are a consumer biotech company that's focused on longevity. Uh, so essentially to uh, be younger for longer is what we what, what our tagline is. So uh, we, we emphasize or we focus on the scientific causes of aging, and then we create patent pending formulations along with our team of scientists from Harvard, MIT, the Salk Institute. These are world renowned scientists uh, who uh, help us to formulate these, these products uh, to slow down the aging process essentially. Uh, we'll also be releasing soon some some tests for you to be able to track your biological age. And we've got a, a, a blog with more than 100 articles scientifically referenced but, and so on. So that website is novoslabs.com. Uh, you can find everything there. We have Novos Labs on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter as well. And then, as I mentioned before, personally, I have slowmyage.com. Um, and I'm slow my age on Twitter and on uh, Instagram as well. Perfect, awesome, Chris. Well, it's been a real pleasure speaking with you, and I'm and I'm gonna I'm gonna try to apply some of those things that you talked about a little bit and do a little bit more reading on your blog so I can get some better ideas on how I can slow down a little bit because nothing at 46 I I, I would love to be 36 uh, biologically, but uh, <laughs> I, I'm feeling a little bit older every day, so I want to try to slow that down as much as possible. I appreciate you coming on, my friend. Of course, we, we have an ebook on the Novos Labs site, um, which is a good overview. It's uh, simple to read and, and you can get a good idea. You'll know more than your medical doctor about aging if you read that ebook. <laughs> Perfect. Perfect. Well, everybody go check that out. And look, I hope you enjoyed this conversation as much as I did. Um, like I say all the time, let's go out there and make somebody smile today because no matter how bad your day went or how bad you think it's going, if you make somebody smile today, you know you had a good day and the world needs a lot more of that right now. So thank you all very much for listening. And I'll see you on the other side. Thank you so much for your time today and listening to the podcast. I hope you enjoyed the conversation as much as I did. With your support and our incredible guests, we're one of the top sales podcasts in the industry with over a million downloads, and I can't thank you enough. To keep the momentum going, if you could go to your favorite podcast platform and leave us a five-star review, I would greatly appreciate it. In return, I will answer any question that you have on Instagram. Hit me up there at John M as in Michael Barrows with a video question or a DM, and I will get right back to you, I promise. And last but not least, if you're looking for training, I'm adjusting my training approach this year and I'm actually gonna be delivering training to the masses. I'll be delivering live training the first and second week of every single month with our two marquee courses, filling the funnel and driving a close to anybody who wants to join. And it includes membership in our on-demand platform with weekly AMAs. So you can go to jbarrows.com open to check out the details. Thanks again and have a great day.